still trying to prove me wrong, aren't you? You are wrong. Am I? They come, fight, they destroy, they corrupt. It always ends the same. It only ends once. Anything that happens before that, it's just progress. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps well everybody i am josh wiggler i am joined here by mike bloom mike holy crap we're doing this i'm having the most cluckety cluck cluck day (laughs) ever josh imagining that this is finally happening i mean it's weird to say finally because we should admit that this is probably what like the third iteration of some sort of lost podcast going on on post show recap i think this is officially the third lost uh podcast that we've done like we did a reboot and now this is like a brand new thing but technically this is version 3.0 of the lost podcast yeah we're this is this this is the tom holland spider-man equivalent of Lost. hey that's the best one (laughs) i'm excited for it personally give me all the gyllenhaal coming onto the island but i mean this is extremely exciting this is a podcast that some may be surprised by you and i did not foreshadow this whatsoever in over the top manners in any sort of podcasting we've been doing the past couple months Uh, i count myself astronomically lucky that i get to participate in so many great podcasts across the podcast atmosphere but i i have to admit josh no offense to the lovely people i get to podcast with but this might be the most excited i am for a project in quite some time This is going to be really, really fun. This is, as Mike says, a long time in the making. Uh, This has been a podcast that I have wanted to do ever since Post Show Recaps was a thing. It is a thing that we have attempted in the past. We are going to make another run at the island here on Lost Down the Hatch. Not Lost Lives. This is Lost Down the Hatch, a rewatch podcast. We are officially rewatching Lost as a new podcast here on Post Show Recaps, a weekly series where one episode is coming your way every single week, uh, except for when we announce time off here and there. Uh, but Mike and I, we've talked uh, already and we've we've been bouncing ideas back and forth for a couple of uh, a few weeks now, almost a month or so. And there have been uh, other moving pieces behind the scenes here for a few more months than that. Um, I've already started calendarizing where we are going to be taking this podcast. And if we hit all of our marks, Mike, uh, we're going to be we're going to be getting to the season three finale in December 2020. Like that's how far into the future we are talking about <laughs> with this podcast. I think we've got a few more pressing, urgent matters to deal with before we start talking about 2020. And even then, December 2020 is not the 2020 month that I am uh, most nervous about. On, the, uh, on so. the bright side, this could either be, depending on your particular societal situation, a happy distraction or a nice companion piece to 
to the ecstasy that you currently live in. It's a win-win no. either way for us. <laughs> if you're that person, leave. I don't want you here. Uh, but no, we are doing this. We are very excited about Down the Hatch, which is a really exciting podcast project, a full-on rewatch of my favorite show, Lost. Can't be more happy to be doing this with anyone than you, Mike. Uh, when I when I lobbed it your way, you were you were a very quick yes, uh, which is a real testament to how much of an insane person you are <laughs> that you signed on for this. Listen, uh, I I mean, if has if it has not been proven before, you know, I I know that the common topic of razzing for me in the RJP universe is that I do too many podcasts, but I am never before committed to doing a weekly podcast like this. Usually the shows that Josh, you and I cover have off seasons. This is technically a show that has been off season for nearly 10 years at this point. So there is no figurative off season here, unless like you say, we take some breaks or if there happens to be a podcast writer strike, in which case we'll have to go back to the drawing board and really figure out how we want to end things. Yeah, we'll figure that out when we when we get there. Yeah, it's been um, j- not quite 15 years to the day uh, of the series premiere uh, on ABC as we are recording this podcast. We are recording this podcast uh, on, a, on a Monday, August 12th, 2019, dropping it on August 15th. 2019, aka 8:15. So happy Lost Day to you, Losties out there. I will note, Mike, that we uh, we began recording at 8:15 p.m. I don't know if you noticed that, but that definitely pinged on my radar. So the Lost Gods are smiling upon us, or we're cursed. I haven't quite figured out exactly which one. It yeah, is it depends. I do have a three-toed statue that mysteriously arrived in my apartment, and I'm I'm wondering if that's a sign from those aforementioned gods you were speaking yeah. about. It's obviously missing a toe. It's supposed to be a four-toed statute so they <laughs> they broke off one, one. i'm gonna call amazon now <laughs> gotta call amazon all right so this podcast is introductory it's there's gonna be a lot of information coming your way to really sketch out exactly what it is we are doing here on down the hatch so it's gonna be a big information download in a lot of different ways so strap in get comfortable we've got a lot coming your way. The first thing to let you know is a bit about scheduling. Um, the goal is for Down the Hatch to be posting on Fridays. Uh, this is going to be a Friday launching podcast, except for this week, which is coming out on a Thursday, 8.15. Our next podcast is a little bit more than a week away. We are going to be recapping the two-part pilot on 8.23, August 23rd is when Mike and I are going to be talking about the first two hours of Lost. You can make sure that you do not miss a single episode of Down the Hatch if you subscribe to Post Show Recaps on your podcast app of choice. We are going to be getting a dedicated feed up momentarily sometime in the next few weeks. If it is not up already, keep an ear out or an eye out rather for postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch. We would love your ratings, your reviews, anything that helps us get heard and seen. We want as many people along for the ride as humanly possible. Please help us make that happen. Yes, please. Uh, I will, you know, just put out a little, I don't want to guilt anybody, but I will say this podcast is coming out uh, just a handful of days before I turn 30 years old. Ooh, and I, I think it would just be a, a little bit of a nice gift if we had a nice little five-star rating waiting for us. Again, I don't I don't want to presume anything, uh, but if we could get some sort of something, you know, airdropped to us from some sort of uh, Frank Lapidus-helmed chopper in the Apple Podcast Store or your podcatcher of choice, 
that'd just be the best darn birthday gift a guy can think of. It'd be pretty great. Uh, we want to make sure that you are interacting with us along the way. Wishing Mike a happy birthday on Twitter is a great idea. We want you people tweeting at us the whole way through. At Post Show Recaps is our Twitter account. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, we're going to get an email set up soon as well. If it's not set up already, it will be very, very soon. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Mike, this is a rewatch of Lost. This, that's an important detail I think we need to be upfront about. And we're going to talk about it again in just a couple of minutes. But just right out of the way, you've even said the words Frank Lapidus. Some would argue that's a spoiler for people who don't know what a Frank Lapidus is and won't know what a Frank Lapidus is for many, many seasons. So let's just be very explicit about this. This is a spoiler-filled rewatch podcast. It's a rewatch. It's not a first watch. We are assuming if you are listening to this podcast that you have seen Lost already. We'll talk about that more in full detail in just a little while, but we want to give you that note right up front. So you have a you have a few shots here to navigate away if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's if anything, if you want to catch up to us, it's a great excuse to just start watching Lost now, you know, start binging through it and we'll be in your feed anytime you want to catch up with us. But, you know, I know that certain people have not watched this show and want to use this as an opportunity to watch it for the first time. The fact of the matter is, not only is the show now almost 15 years old, as you said, Josh, but this is also a show that has such interestingly connective narrative arcs from the first season all the way to the sixth season. We really do want to dig into that without fear of spoiling people. So yeah, we're going to sort of, uh, you know, provide a deluge of this message, probably in our first podcast as well, in case any wayward people, you know, stumble their way into there. But probably a few of these will, would be my bet that we're going to, we're, we're going to be pretty cautious up front. And eventually we're going to assume that we have, uh, weeded out the people who would be, uh, frightened by the spoilers who don't know what they're getting into. Uh, so bear with us as we give you copious amounts of spoiler warnings for these first couple of podcasts um well let's dig into this podcast this first podcast of down the hatch we're not yet digging into the pilot that's going to happen next week you officially have one week to watch the two-part lost pilot we want your feedback we're going to be talking about both parts next week send your questions in send your feedback in this week mike we want to re-familiarize everybody with lost we want to familiarize everybody with our positions on lost we want to talk some trisha tanaka i'm sure uh above all else we want to clue you the listener into the structure of how these podcasts are going to work as our amazing theme song from the great alex g may have already clued you in we are taking you through down the hatch by the numbers each week we are talking about four stories we're bringing you eight sounds we're up against 15 to 16 others we're awarding 23 points and it is all happening in no less than 42 minutes no more than 108 minutes with an asterisk to that last point, which we will get into <laughs> deeper into the podcast. Yes, we'll have to go further down the hatch to get to uh, that particular point. To so the portion where the where the ladder is broken and we're just like free falling to our doom. Yeah, uh, or that, broken that is, legs. Yes, <laughs> it's very likely that we will uh, we will be breaking some bones, if not boons, along the way. <laughs> uh, so let's let's explain a little bit what all of that means by going category by category through the structure of a typical down the hatch episode. We will begin most episodes with four stories where we are going to be talking about four different stories 
from an episode of Lost. So for example, story point one this week would be that the structure of the four stories section of the Down the Hatch podcast requires some explanation. Oh, this that's so meta. This is so meta right now. So, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to begin each week by talking about a given episode's four major stories. Some weeks that's going to be straightforward. It's going to be as straightforward as us talking about like the flashback story as one story point, maybe the main island story as the second story point, the B plot as a third story point, and the C plot as a fourth story point. But just as often, maybe even more often, we'll pick two or three of the stories that are actually concretely happening in the episode of Lost that we think are most worth talking about while using one or two of the other story points to talk about like the greater meta story of Lost, the longer arcs, the deeper themes of the series that are expressed in a given episode. But this section, the four stories section, I would say will be the most recappy part of the Down the Hatch podcast. And that isn't to say that we're not going to, you know, divulge into the minutia that might occur on the island. You know, I think the closest comparison in terms of this podcast is the Seinfeld, much lauded Seinfeld post-show recap that Robin and Kiva Winnaker did for a number of years here on 100%. post-show recaps. Uh, and I know that they went a bit more chronologically through the episode. Uh, we're, I think, going to recap things in more of a macro style. But I'm sure, knowing the two of us and how much we'd love to talk our little faces off, that there's going to be plenty of opportunity in all these sections to just randomly talk about the, the, the random-ass details that can occur while you're living out there on an island with a, a random group of strangers. Yeah, okay. So that's story point one that is giving you a sense of what the four stories section <laughs> looks like. Here's story point two, Mike. And it just it just bears repeating. It's the most important story of the podcast that we're doing today. This is a spoiler podcast. <laughs> you're not safe here if you haven't watched Lost before. If you think you're never going to watch Lost ever and you just want to experience the show this way, if you like Mike's podcasting, if you like my podcasting and you just want to hear us in your ears every week and you don't care about watching Lost, I mean, go for it. That's on you. But I definitely think it's better if you go off and you binge lost first but either way this is an unsafe place for the for the people who have not watched lost before i advise you to turn back leave i'd turn back if i were you yes i mean i would say podcasting with me in any atmosphere is, a, is an unsafe place but this much <laughs> more so in the spoiler esque area because as we sort of alluded to early on i just think josh and i can't control ourselves when it comes to references from this show. So we're going to try to, you know, walk on eggshells, especially in these first few episodes, but we don't want to ruin anybody's enjoyment, you know? I, and so I, we really do encourage you to go check out the series. And if you do want some sort of companion series to go with you while you watch it for the first time, Josh, there's the, plenty of options. Yeah, there are yeah. a numerable number of lost podcasts out there that I do know focus more in the, first watch variety where either someone is watching it for the first time or it was done you know while the episodes were airing yeah just to give some examples because there's a there's a lot of amazing talented people who are even currently actively doing lost podcasting right now it's a really kind of like it's like a lost renaissance that is happening right now one example is the storm a great podcast by dave gonzalez joanna robinson and neil miller it launched a few months ago they split their recaps into a spoiler free section called the calm and then a spoiler filled section 
section called The Storm. You can listen to that if it's on your first, if you're on your first watch through Lost. I definitely recommend them. Uh, there's another fun podcast, The Lost Boys Podcast, that is hosted by someone who, I kid you not, is named Jack Shepard. Uh, and his, his best friend, Jacob Stolworthy. They're two friends with very different Lost journeys. I believe it is Jack who is on his first watch ever and Jacob on his eighth watch. <laughs> oh, that's that. The Lost they, Boys. They, did they change their names legally? Because that just seems all too pertinent, Josh. It's this, perfect. This, is, this is art mirroring life. It's perfect. It's, it's art mirroring life. So you can listen to that one. That is very spoiler sensitive. Uh, and of course, you can always go back through the Jay and Jack archives yeah. and OGs of Lost Podcasting, Friends of Post Show Recaps. Mike has done a ton of podcasting with Jay and Jack. Uh, I'm sure that you could go back and that stuff holds up and it's going to be the purest stuff because Lost wasn't even fully out in the universe by the time that they were podcasting about it. They were podcasting in the trenches of Lost's release. Uh, so, you know, almost 15 years on from the premiere, we we kind of just think, I think Mike and I, we've talked about it. It's just not interesting enough for us to do this podcast in any format other than full tilt spoiler mode. I think, like you say, Mike, it's, it's not just that like we're going to have a hard time reining ourselves in with the references. I think we are going to be bored if we're not just talking about the full scope of Lost. That's what I want to talk about. We're going to get into like production stuff and like behind the scenes intel along the way. But my bread and butter when it comes to Lost is the story, the characters, how those characters connect. And as we're rewatching this show, I think that that's the stuff that we want to chronicle from the very, very beginning. I think in speaking of podcasts, correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm pretty sure like one of the first ever podcasts to be released was the official Lost podcast. I don't know if uh, Damon and Carlton were like told by the network to do this, but I remember they would do like weekly almost companion podcast sort of explaining what happened you know from the production side of things over the course of the episode and that really was you know before podcasts became popular that really was sort of like the granddaddy of them all that was the origin point 100 percent. yeah i remember listening to those podcasts in college we have some references to those podcasts along the way here as we're moving through down the hatch so yeah and they exist still i for the longest time I had no idea how to find them. Uh, they're on YouTube. Uh, some Somebody uh, uploaded those podcasts onto YouTube. They're a little hard to find. We will point you in the right direction. Uh, but yeah, Damon, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, who, who get a lot of flack for uh, for not really explaining the finale. They kind of let it lie. They don't talk about it too much I mean, to, to be fair, I think we've also hopped on at a time where other types of you know high-quality TV shows have earned arguably greater flack for their finale, where it's it's a nice time to revisit Lost, you know, and possibly look so forward too. to the ending in a few years. I think so, too. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that that guides us nicely into story point three, which is the story of Lost, period. Like, let's talk about Lost and, and what it is and what it's about. And I mean, if you've made it this far, then you've seen Lost or you don't care about the spoilers. But just to do it in like the vaguest sense possible, it's about an island that summons good people and bad people to it. It has immense, enormous power to both heal and destroy. It is magical and inexplicably so. Uh, and the story begins with a bunch of people who were on an airplane crashing onto the island. And, and then they vote each other off at the end of every episode. Every three nights, <laughs> they go to tribal council. Uh, no, there's some great Lost and Survivor parodies. Um but no, just a, a, a ton of strangers who cross each other's paths in these kind of cosmic, divine ways, and madness ensues, uh, heartbreak ensues, love and laughter ensue, Mike. 
yeah, I mean, it really is tough to say what is lost because you really provided the skeleton, but contained housed, you know, housing that skeleton is really this body that is almost indescribable. You know, when you start the series in a very basic survivalist aspect of, okay, these people crash landed on a deserted island and now they need to figure out how to get there or, or how to get off or how to survive. And where we end the series, which is, okay, we just traveled through time, and now we need to go to the mythical temple to fight off this this anthropomorphic human who could also turn himself into a gaseous creature. It's pretty bananas. The interesting thing about the show as well that I think, you know, uh, at least I have sort of changed my my opinion about the show, and I'm assuming rewatching this is going to change some even more, you know, basic opinions I've had about it, is that... You know, when it comes to specifically the ending of Lost, I think a lot of people remember Lost for the quote unquote mystery of it all. And there were certainly a lot of confusing, interesting elements that the show threw in there to not make it your typical castaway Gilligan's Island story. But at the end of the day, and this has really been the drum that we've been beating on post show recaps the number of times that we've, you know, started and restarted this project, it really is about the people. At the end of the day, and we're going to start with a group of people. We're going to bring in some very interesting characters, some good, some not so good, but all very interesting in their own regard. And at the end of the day, it's about connections they make. And yes, the connections might be clouded by weird ass stuff that's going on around them. But I fundamentally believe that it's about the way these people interact in their lives, both on and off the island and how that ties into how they're going to pursue their lives from then on. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's tons of mysteries along the way, questions that are both answered and some that are left unanswered, and some of the questions that are answered in ways that confound people, uh, that disappoint some people. Uh, we will we will get through all of that stuff. We'll entertain theories along the way as well. I'm sure it's a show that people have not stopped theorizing about. I'm sure we will get tons of theories in the feedback sections, and we will deliver our own along the way. But as always, anytime I'm talking about Lost Weather publicly on a podcast or with people in my life who are considering getting into it, I will always tell them that if you focus on the characters, if you focus on the people, that is where you are going to to find the most satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have a very hard time, I think, walking away from this show being unsatisfied if you just let yourself primarily fall in love with the characters and and that's really what I'm I'm looking forward to the most which brings us to to story point 4 uh of four stories Mike the final point uh which is what our story of of lost is and and what this show has meant to us and and what we are hoping to get out of this rewatch uh Mike this is uh, the beginning uh, I've already rewatched lost once in 2019 this is the beginning of my second Lost rewatch starting in 2019, though this one will end many moons down the line. <laughs> well, yeah, um, can, we, can we talk about that a bit more? Because I know that people have sort of been uh, you know, following your Twitter chronicles of revisiting Lost. Can you just dope briefly on what inspired you to sort of rewatch it this year and then what specifically chose you made you choose to embrace this type of project as a result of that rewatch? Yeah, absolutely. My cat died. 
um, which is a very dark thing to just kind of say cavalierly. Uh, but my cat died. And uh, this was, this was uh, you know, at, at a time where I've been feeling a lot of anxiety. And I've been, frankly, dealing with a, a decent amount of depression in my life uh, over the, the last year or so, maybe the last two years or so. Uh, just like the inexplicable uh, amorphous stuff that's like totally intangible and you can't really explain where it's coming from other than it's the stuff that's swirling around inside your brain like black smoke. Uh, my cat died at a very sensitive time in my life in a, in a moment where I really felt like I was I was starting to like rebound from a lot of sort of crippling feelings of anxiety and bad coping mechanisms to get through it. Uh, and, and, you know, suddenly at, at 18 years old, so not so suddenly, it was a it was a noticeable decline for the late great Leopardo DiCaprio, a.k.a. Pardo, uh, who who passed away in December. We, we had to make the choice to, to let him go, as it were. Uh, it was very, very depressing uh, and very, very sad. And, you know, Emily and I, Emily Fox and I, who uh, you hear a lot of uh, on post-show recaps, we were both very, very upset about it. And we've coped with it in our own ways and we've integrated it into our lives and we're doing much, much better now. But for me, one of like the quicker ways of moving on from the grief was returning to something that I just, I knew that at least like 90% of it I loved. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, if not the whole 100% of Lost, because on Lost podcasts that I've appeared on in the past, or if you're just hearing my takes about Lost for the very first time, uh, I will tell you what other people already know is that I love Lost all the way through season five, and I don't like season six, has been my official position on the board. Um, but in the wake of my cat's death, I just, I put on a few episodes just to like kind of cheer me up, mm. and that very quickly snowballed into a full-on rewatch that took or a polar bear a polar bear into a full-on rewatch and it took me about a month to do uh and the final season i had a very long flight i i, I had a, a a trip planned with my very good friend out of the country that was going to be like a 14-hour plane ride and i loaded up my tablet with the final season of lost and so i i sat there uh captive audience on this 14-hour plane <laughs> ride uh across the world watching the final season of Lost in rapid succession. And listener, I am not lying when I tell you that I loved the final season of Lost. Wow. Warts and all. Warts and all. I walked away from this latest rewatch of Lost loving it unconditionally. Uh, deciding that the, that the blemishes along the way are things to be celebrated. There's probably going to be stuff that annoys me along the way on this <laughs> or across the sea. <laughs> we, well, I've, I've hacked across the sea. And I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you now, and I'm going to beat this drum all the way through, especially for people who are going to be binge-watching Lost in like a really quick, compressed time frame so that they can get that base coding of Lost as they join us on the week-to-week. -week. My advice to those people across the sea which is the third to last episode of Lost, watch that before you watch the season six premiere. After mm. the season five finale and before the season six premiere, watch Across the Sea and take Across the Sea out of its normal playing order. The final season flows so, so, so much. Wow. Talk about hacking. You just machete ordered the sixth season of Lost. It's a, it's a light machete order, but it is a key machete order it's a key knife move john Locke would be proud uh, i really think it solves a lot of issues with with that final season uh i'm sure we'll talk about it along the way as we get here but i'd reached the end of that rewatch and i just i i was full with like 
so so much awe at how happy it made me uh, and and how happy having lost back in my life made me. And even though I haven't returned to it in the months since then, um, in terms of watching Lost, I've been thinking about it nonstop since then, knowing that I wanted to do something like this. And I floated it out into the Twitter sphere uh, to you know, the, the bemused uh, bewilderment of certain people uh, who, who follow me and then other people who are like, yes, please, we have to go back. We have to go and rewatch Lost. We have to do it in podcast form. Uh, and I haven't lost you know, the, the energy for that. Maybe a couple of moments along the way where I doubted whether or not this was a smart thing to do. Uh, but here we are at the door. Uh, and I am, I'm very excited to plow through and go down the hatch and, and revisit this in weekly form. Because I can tell you, having gone through what for me was like a very big personal loss i i i to this day i i love that cat dearly uh you know it's it's he he meant more to me than words will ever describe and it really helped me let go and move on and carry on with my life and carry on with my year and we are living in dark times where the death of a cat is going to look like small potatoes compared to just you know regardless of the state of the world uh the slow march of time and who you lose along the way and why you lose people whether it's um you know the the sad losses that are unfortunately expected and just part of the natural flow of life, or the ones that sideswipe you and come out of nowhere, uh, whether it's a job loss or a person that you're losing. Um, I think that having a show that is so reliably entertaining um, and it is it for so many reasons because it's rich in character drama or it's hysterical um, to have that in your life on a weekly basis as like comfort TV food. I'm just so here for that. Mm. And if we can provide that service for people on a weekly basis for the next couple of years, I'm going to be very, very personally fulfilled. So that's what Lost means to me, and that's why I'm doing this. We're handing out podcasts like Apollo Bars. Our name is Hugo Reyes. Everybody loves Down the Hatch. Hopefully. Hopefully it's not everybody hates Down the Hatch. Uh, I am super excited about this because Lost is one of those rare shows for me where... And I think it's because of the pure diversity of the cast. You know, I think we're really in a day and age where I would argue Lost really predated a lot of, I would say, you know, appropriate and important conversation that's been going on about the landscape of television and the stories that are being told. You know, it's it was so... I don't know, eye-opening back then to, you know, have an African-American father and son, to have an Asian, Asian couple, to have a, a Hispanic-American character, uh, to, have, to have a Middle Eastern character three years after 9-11. I'm sure we'll get into that and how that affects the characterization of Saeed. But I guarantee, you know, the Mike Bloom who watched Lost in its, its, in its first run from 2004 to 2010, to the Mike Bloom who may have rewatched this a few years ago back when uh, Lost Lives had restarted, to the Mike Bloom now are three very different Mike Blooms. Uh, you know, in the first run, I'll admit uh, I was not the biggest fan of you know, I, I'm a teenager. I'm going through all my other romantic drama BS in my normal life. I don't care what's going on with Jack and Kate and Sawyer and Juliet. Okay, just like pair off, kiss, make up, go away. I want to see more mystery happening. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then move, you know, skip ahead to 2015. Mike Bloom, who's about to get married, he sees this, you know, uh, this Korean couple who, while they have their faults and they have their strife and their miscommunications, quite literally, they are very. Much much in love with each other and as a result i fell in love with them the mike bloom now in 2019 is a father yeah a new father and so you know if we're talking about expectations a bit 
I'm very, and I don't want to, you know, put the cart before the horse or the donkey before the wheel. I'm very intrigued to see how I'm going to approach the character of Claire because I have a three month old son right now as we are podcasting this. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how I react to the way that Claire's storyline is especially shown in the first couple of seasons. Because I, you know, growing up and even a few years ago, had no point of accessibility when it came to being a parent or, you know, uh, it, when it came to just having a baby in general. And now that I do have that moment in my life, how much can I associate with that? Much like I associated with Jin and Son back in 2015, when maybe I wasn't able to back during its first run. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, like, there's so many themes about parenthood and fatherhood specifically that are littered throughout Lost. And I can imagine that for you, this is going to be pretty powerful to, to navigate some of that stuff now that you have this very new perspective on, on what the relationships between so many of these fathers and sons um, are, are, you know, actually manifesting and, and where they're coming from and the insecurities they prey upon and the joys that they, that they play with. Um, and I think it's, you know, not for nothing, it's going to be very exciting that young Asher Bloom is going to be off to college when we reach the end of the Lost podcast. I think yeah. it's going to be pretty fun for us as uh, as people who are charting your journey as well. Uh, either that or I'm taking notes about uh, poor John Locke's father. I'm going to grift him <laughs> out of a couple of kidneys by the time we get to the end of the podcast. Yeah, 100%. So I, I think that... Lost has meant different things to us along the way. Uh, it meant, you know, something very, very personal for me this year specifically. It's going to mean something I think really, really personal and profound for you as we're going through this. It's going to mean something very different to anybody who is following along with the show with us. Uh, you know, I think it. I think that there's something about the show that really strikes a nerve in people, uh, much in the same way as you know, Survivor's another show, obviously that Mike and I talk about and, and do a lot of work in. Uh, and I think that a lot of the things that are that are so um, primal uh, and and you know just like in, intensely satisfying or alluring about Survivor, those are alive and lost as well with the added genre element uh, and the scripted aspect of it. So that this is a truly a story that is wildly out of our hands and out of the hands of reality, and yet in many ways does feel so real because I think that the thematics are as resonant as they are. Um, but it, much like the smoke monster, it morphs, it changes, it shapeshifts. Uh, I think even some of the takes that I had about Lost on this most recent, you know, like month-long binge watch that I did in 2019, I'm sure will change. I'm sure I'll have a different favorite character as I'm going through it week by week, just because the show, it moves differently every time you encounter it. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... You know, when it comes to uh, preconceived notions as well, if I, if I want to come in with like one big thesis statement of what I'm looking to do, Josh, I want to learn to appreciate Kate Austin. Uh, I think you will. I think you will. I hope so. I'll, I'll certainly help. I'll, I'll do my best to help you appreciate Yeah, because I, I, again, I'm, I'm someone who, you know, especially the stuff that she was primarily involved with near the tail end, which was like, who's she going to choose between Jack and Sawyer? That was not something I particularly cared about in my first watch. So I kind of shrugged her off as a, a character in general. Uh, and, you know, there was, she also received like a wealth of flashbacks in those first few seasons where it was just sort of like, okay, we get it. Kate's a criminal, complicated character. Can't, you know, hold a man down, etc. But right. Evangeline Lilly's a fantastic actress. And I'm very excited to like, now that I sort of have the, 
you know, the more romantic sensibilities about me. I'm excited to dive particularly back into that character because that is one who I really was not a big fan of by the time the series first finished. I think one of the things that I'm going to aim to do here with Down the Hatch, and I and I hope that we are successful in, is like not unlike how like Thanos has Nebula sort of disassembled at times and is like kind of like looking at the totality of Nebula in the Avengers movies. Like, I think that that is a way to examine Lost, where we're not just looking at the, the stories, the storytelling, the specific the characters and their actions, but we're also looking at the actors to, to make some of our judgments about these people. We're also trying to look at some of the things that are happening behind the curtain, behind the scenes, some of the, the political uh, action that is happening at ABC with, you know, with Damon Lindelof's writer's room. What's fueling, uh, what's happening in the world, what's happening in television that is fueling some of the things that translate to the screen. Uh, and, I, and I think like, it, it's stuff like that that may help you appreciate certain characters like a Kate uh, if you can if you can look at her for more than just the characterization and if you can look at other things that go into a problematic character that you uh, that you don't like for whatever reason um, maybe that's something that will that will help you look at stuff uh, a little bit differently as we go along the way uh, but then again sometimes Charlie singing in a diaper is just Charlie singing in a <laughs> no, diaper. No I think we gotta break that down to its core element no, I'm take excited. A look at each little I'm itty excited. bitty yeah, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> I'm very because that's also the, also the thing as well is that you know the first few years of Lost took place in the mid-2000s, and while this was a groundbreaking show for the television landscape, it's still a show made in the mid-2000s. So I'm sure there are things about it that, from a perspective nowadays, when we really are afforded such great stuff in the TV landscape, can be a little chintzy, can be a little showing of the time, and I'm sure we can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's move on from four stories into eight sounds, which is going to be our second segment every single week. For the folks who are just listening and not watching along, we're going to bring Lost straight into your ears with eight different sound pulls from each episode. That's going to range from scenes that we think are just shockingly profound and deserve to be replayed in full to little gag moments that both Mike and I find hilarious to moments that we're standing up and saluting the incredible score from Michael Giacchino, a whole variety of things. And since this is our wide sweeping intro podcast, I think we should bring in eight sounds from across the series, not across the sea, uh, to give you a sense of what we mean and what we intend to do with the eight sounds segment. And of course, Mike, I think it's only fitting that we begin with one of the very first scenes at the start of it all. Ladies and gentlemen, the pilot has switched on the fasten seatbelt sign. Please return to your seat and fasten your seatbelts. It's normal. Oh, I know. Just never been a very good flyer. My husband keeps reminding me that planes want to be in the air. Well, he sounds like a very smart man. Sure, and tell him that when he gets back from the bathroom. Well, I'll keep you company until he does. Don't worry. It's going to be over.
know, along the way, we're going to dig into all the various twists and turns and mysteries. And we're going to try our best to come up with ways that we can make sense of the stuff that, quite honestly, still doesn't make sense a decade plus after some of these episodes aired. But you know what? Sometimes we're just going to bask in how incredible some scenes are from this show. Like, here's this moment from season two in which uh, a particularly interesting injured widower who claims to be named Henry Gale just has some breakfast very casually with two of his captors. Cereal? Wow, where'd you guys get cereal? I'm down here all along. Pantry's full of food. How old is it? You guys don't know much, huh? I mean, I'd be asking all kinds of questions about all this stuff down here. You guys don't even seem that curious. Do you want the cereal or don't you? This must be my reward for good behavior, huh? I guess I earned myself some goodwill for finally drawing that map for Anna. What map? To my balloon. Did you know? Wow, you guys have some real trust issues, don't you? Guess it makes sense she didn't tell you. I mean, with the two of you fighting all the time. If I was one of them, these people that you seem to think are your enemies, what would I do? Well, there'd be no balloon. So I'd draw a map to a real secluded place. Like a cave or some underbrush. A good place for a trap. An ambush. Friends got there, a bunch of my people will be waiting for. Them. And then they'd use them to trade for me. I guess it's a good thing I'm not one of them, huh? You guys got any milk? It's still so good. Oh, my God. Uh, That's the best right. gotten milk campaign I think it I've really ever is. seen. <laughs> it's so great. All right. All right. So throughout the podcast, I expect Mike and I, we're going to find ourselves agreeing on a lot of things, not just the milk uh, that we love about Lost. But sometimes, maybe not. Uh, believe it or not, there are some moments in which Mike Bloom, the jovial Mike Bloom, is going to out himself as an unabashed fun hater. What? Uh, yeah, well, we'll roll the next sound clip. We're going to get to this incredible moment at some point in the lead up to December 2020, one of the truly masterful episodes of Lost that for some reason Mike Bloom hates. This is from season three's Trisha Tanaka is dead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, nice. Keep it coming. Uh... You were right. Okay. That's two. Hit me. Those pants don't make you look fat. <laughs> now you got it. Only three things a woman needs to hear. Come on. <laughs> 
Get up. We got work to do. What's your problem, Jumbotron? Shut up, Red Nick Man. <laughs> Touche. I'm sure, Josh, by the end, you're going to want me to say either you were right or those pants don't make you look fat. I, <laughs> well, I knew I would know you'd be lying about uh, the second thing. So. Well, one thing that Josh and I are able to at least agree upon, maybe it's not Trisha Tanaka is dead yet, but we can all agree that the music of Lost is absolutely beautiful, whether it's coming from bands like Drive Shaft, a.k.a. Suck Shaft, according to some uh, particular critics, or just from a pure orchestral swoon in an emotional moment. It all comes from the brilliant brain of Emmy and Oscar-winning composer Michael Giacchino. Here's a sample of one of his most powerful moments. What's your boyfriend's name? The rock star who swam down to the station. Charlie, what? Charlie just got us rescued. I mean, honestly, goosebumps. Like, I mean, I will. I will also say again. Maybe <laughs> already living up to the prediction that I made. Literally, my heartstring tugged when I heard Aaron cry. So I think that's a good uh, preview of the shape of things to come. Yeah, I mean, I, well, that'll come later. Uh, that's the season after this. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. but, but I, I mean, I've, I've listened to that clip already, just like the last few days, a couple of times, and you get to Aaron crying, and I just get goose flesh every single time. Um, obviously, for those uh, those in the know, those who may not be that beautiful music moment uh comes from one of the single most heartbreaking scenes in all of lost the death of charlie pace coming your way december 2020 <laughs> <laughs> look we, forward to it send off it. the year <laughs> uh yeah he's a man we're, we're going to be spending a lot of time with every week for the next year or so uh and his death arrives 
in the season three finale coming your way December 2020 here on Down the Hatch, which, like all of the finales, uh, that episode, Through the Looking Glass, it's an out-and-out blockbuster. Uh, the finales are always such events. I can't wait to get through them. Uh, and, of course, Through the Looking Glass, it ends with what has easily become the most iconic moment in all of Lost. We were not supposed to leave. Yes, we were. Jack Shepard pulling off beards before hipsters brought them back. <laughs> yeah. What a or, not, or not. Or Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, th- th- that's, uh, that might be something we'll need to revisit. He pulls off some other things. But, beard, but, maybe not so much. But Lost isn't always about, you know, mind-bending chronological twists or utterly depressing heartbreak. Sometimes it could be outright heartwarming. There surprisingly is some joy in this series about people stranded on a desert island, as is the case in this clip, from what a lot of people might consider the very best episode of the series, certainly in the top for me, and it's certainly among the show's top romantic moments. Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, that's better. 
I love you, Benny. I've always loved you. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you too. I don't know where I am, but I'll find you, Des. I promise. No matter what, I'll come back to you. I, won't give up. I promise. I promise. I, I love, love you. you. Sorry, power source went dead. That's all we have. Thank you, Said. It was enough. Are you all right now? To me, you are perfect. Oh, no. Yeah, to quote, and I mean, the constant is a Christmas episode, so to bring it in from uh, some love, actually. Just say it's Caroler's pen. (laughs) I love that Saeed is a fly on the wall uh, (laughs) for that moment. Saeed's like the most romantic character on the show, short of I mean, listen, yeah, dude is changing partners like it's a square dance. I know. So he's got to be like sitting there, like watching that happy. He's like, Oh my god, this is gold. <laughs> <laughs> I love love. Uh, yeah, I think we'll talk about uh, Saeed as a heartthrob a lot here on Down the Hatch. Um, but Desmond and Penny's, their star and time crossed love story. It's a great reminder that eventually we're going to get nose deep into some time travel shenanigans. And it's probably going to come up sooner on the podcast than it does on the show. Uh, but for anyone, who doesn't remember the whatever happened, happened of it all. Here's a quick refresher from season five, even if it isn't an entirely helpful refresher. Let me get this straight. All this already happened. Yes. So this conversation we're having right now, we already had it. Yes. Then what am I going to say next? I don't know. Ha! Ha! then your theory is wrong. For the thousandth time, you dingbat. The conversation already happened, but not for you and me. For you and me, it's happening right now. Okay, answer me this. If all this already happened to me, then why don't I remember any of it? Because once Ben turned that wheel, time isn't a straight line for us anymore. Our experiences in the past and the future occurred before these experiences right now. Say that again? I like how both these clips are just people playing into Hurley. Whether it's Sawyer or whether it's Daniel Faraday, Hurley cannot catch a break in our eight sounds. Oh, it's Miles in that one, but yeah, oh, it's Miles. No. I thought it was I thought it was Faraday for some reason. No, Faraday like has a much better. Uh, he has an easier grasp on explaining the whatever happened happened of it all. Uh, but Hurley Hurley is on the receiving end of some people's business on more than one occasion. The good news is it ends perfectly well for him. He's Spe- in charge, so. Well, speaking of how it ends, the last soundboard we have on our eight sounds for our pre-show podcast ends more or less where we began. 
And it should serve as a tense reminder that at some point in the future, which could be years from now, if we maintain the schedule that we're trying to suggest right now, we're going to end up in a very familiar place flying an oceanic flight A-15 once again, in a manner of speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. Please return to your seats. And it's normal. My husband said the planes want to stay in the air. <sighs> Sounds like a smart man. You be sure and tell him that when he gets back from the bathroom. Well, I'll keep you company until he does. Don't worry. You can let go now. It's okay, you, you can let go. <sighs> Looks like we made it. Yeah, we sure did. Sorry about the unexpected bumps, folks. We just hit a pocket of rough air. Should be a smooth ride from here on out. Remind me to hold it next time, will you? died in that bathroom knowing how the laundry feels when it's in the dryer I missed you I missed you too beautiful end that segment with a kiss because why not I missed you beautiful I say to lost uh that's so. That's that's a, just to give you a little sense of what we're gonna do. Yeah, better better to say I missed you than uh now I know what it's like to feel when your laundry in a dryer. Yeah, or like ew, you've got bathroom breath. Oh yeah, like that too. Or hey, uh, there's some heroin in the bathroom. I don't know if anyone <laughs> else noticed that. No, he's in the other bathroom. He's that's in, true. Uh, he's he's close. He's up to near the cockpit, and he's like choking on heroin at this point. Uh, it's really honestly kind of messed up uh but that is a long time away uh but we that that's that's sound number eight so eight sounds that's going to be our second segment on these uh on these down the hatch podcasts let's get into 15 16 others we're, we're the, the two numbers are so closely aligned 15 and 16 that we're just putting them together and sometimes this is going to be 15 others sometimes it's going to be 16 others but this is basically this is our feedback session this is where we're going to be pulling in questions and comments and any other assorted forms of engagement from you faithful listener uh it's also where we're going to draw upon the wisdom of ben martell aka the ben behind the curtain who has been working tirelessly behind the curtain he's been my partner in crime for the past few few months compiling tons of interesting trivia and thematic notes about lost for the podcast is very elaborate google docs that are set up that i showed to mike a few weeks back and it's really like daniel faraday's journal in there it's yes like- <laughs> though hopefully his own mother won't shoot him by the end of this that would be ideal uh, that would be ideal to to avoid any eloise hawkins uh situations 
Um, but since we have not been able to open up for feedback yet, we've got a lot from from Ben uh, for this first 15, 16 others segment. We're going to go through a bunch of highlights from Ben's own journey down the hatch, uh, which should serve as a bit of a history lesson and a thematic primer for Lost. So let's go with other number one, Mike. And it's the fact that the show Lost itself nearly did not exist. Um, go think back to like late 2003, early 2004, before anything really is moving on Lost. Lloyd Braun, head of the ABC Entertainment at the time, he wanted and, and Seinfeld character. <laughs> he wanted a show that was a cross between Castaway and Survivor. Uh, but he had to fight for the idea from the outset. ABC wasn't really into it, but they quietly he quietly arranged for a pilot to be written. He enlisted a writer named Jeffrey Lieber, who wrote the first draft. Some familiar elements for, of that of that draft made it into the final show: the plane crash, uh, two people fighting for overall leadership of the group. There's a doctor, there's a fugitive, a drug addict, a pregnant woman. But Lloyd Braun was unimpressed. He found it boring. Uh, and so he contacted, at the time, uh, a, a, you know, a pretty modestly known name, thanks to Alias and Felicity, uh, but certainly nowhere near the famous man that he is now, J.J. Abrams, to take a second pass. J.J. Abrams enlisted the aid of Damon Lindelof, who then added much of the more familiar fabric of Lost, the mysterious island, the monster in the jungle, uh, the idea that the show would have a much greater mythology rather than just a show about surviving as a community on a deserted island. Um, Braun loved it. He was willing to fight for it. He committed $12 million to wow. it early, knowing that that would mean that the pilot would get made. It was the most expensive pilot in history at that time. Uh, yeah, I think that the uh, executives at Disney had a similar reaction to you, Mike, except maybe without like, b- you know, wonderment in their voice. It was more like, <laughs> surprisingly, wow. yeah, the magical executives behind Disney were not so into this magical idea. You're an idiot, Lloyd Braun, is what they basically said, at least in deed, if not in word, uh, because while they, it was too late to pull the plug on the pilot, um, they pulled the plug on Lloyd Braun. Uh, they fired him for greenlighting such an expensive pilot. So he was gone before the show even aired and never got to reap any of the rewards for the fact that Lost became profoundly popular. Um, but Lloyd Bryan continued on on Lost in one small but meaningful way uh, to clear up one of the mysteries. First mystery cleared up. Lloyd Braun, not Carlton Cuse, as many people believe. Lloyd Braun is the voice that says previously on Lost at the start of each episode. JJ and Damon asked him to do it as a way of saying thank you for showing faith in the show. How about wow. that? Well, so Lloyd Braun had to die so Lost could live, it seems. <laughs> At least in his job as ABC. Yes, Lloyd Braun went president. down in that little plane and could not be resuscitated while Lost was born at the same time. Yeah, his association with Lost was sucked into the into the propeller like poor Gary Troop. Um, uh, ben is assembling a lot of different links that he's pulling these stories from, and if you look in your show notes, we have uh, a lot of articles that are that are mentioned in the show notes that you can go and you can seek out and you can do some additional reading for yourself. Um, This is other number two, Mike. Jeffrey Lieber, the aforementioned Jeffrey Lieber, who took the first crack at the pilot. Uh, We don't hear a lot about him. 
he he has a created by credit that you see throughout the entire show. But you, when you think about Lost, you hear about Damon, you hear about Carlton. You don't. You hear some people who mistakenly think J.J. Abrams is responsible for the entire thing. Uh, but you never hear anyone make that mistake with Jeffrey Lieber. That's, that's certainly not anything that I have ever encountered. Yeah, uh, it's, he's very much like if we are uh, casting, you know, the the sort of big execs behind Lost as characters in Hamilton. This is very much the Aaron Burr who wants to be in the room where it happens, but he has been very much denied it several times. Yeah, you put peanut butter in your mouth and you try to say Jeffrey Lieber, and you don't get the uh, you, you don't you don't win the call, you don't win the prize. Uh, even though he had no ongoing role in creating the show, uh, his name isn't going to keep coming up on the podcast. He does uh, he gets a created by credit. Uh, he was extremely disappointed at being fired. He felt like he never really had a chance to rectify what he did wrong. He apparently never really understood what he did wrong. Uh, Lloyd Braun, I guess, thought that what Lieber had turned in was so far off the mark that it just required totally different people. That's Hollywood. I think that's the mm. business uh, that happens. Um, but there's no doubt if Lieber hadn't been fired, the show just would not look anything like what we got to see. Uh, cue the uh, the Greek chorus of haters being like, maybe it would have been good. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they would have ended it better. Yeah, maybe it would have ended better. All right. Here's other number three. Damon and JJ lied about their plans just so they could get the series picked up. This is a fun story. Uh, the new head of ABC programming, Stephen McPherson, who replaced Lloyd Braun, he didn't want the supernatural mythological show that Braun had wanted. He was worried that Abrams was going to create this really dense mythology that would lead to lower viewer numbers, which was what was happening on Alias. And I'm really looking forward to our Down the Hatch follow-up uh, through the SD6 uh, as, we, as we start talking about Alias piece by piece coming your way in 2026. <laughs> Very All right, exciting. yeah, let's let's mark it in our calendars yeah, right now. In. I don't think calendars go that far. 2026 for our Alias Rewatch podcast. Did you ever watch Alias? I watched like uh, for one podcast I watched the Super Bowl episode, but no, I did not venture into uh, it. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into great. our respective Lost origin stories, but Lost was the first scripted drama I ever got my hands cool. into. I was staunchly anti-drama, only pro-comedy when it came to network series over the course of my childhood until I got to Lost. So unfortunately, awesome. Alias uh, remained an alias uh, and was not identified by me for quite some time. Well, in case you didn't know, Alias was a show about a spy. <laughs> uh, yes, Buster well- <laughs> Bluth was really my gateway into yeah. Alias. Alias was awesome, by the way. Uh, I, I don't talk about how much I love Alias nearly enough, but I haven't revisited it in a long time, so all the details are, are mostly forgotten. Going back and watching Alias would actually be exciting because I would I there would be so many surprises I had completely forgotten about. Anyway, uh, at the time that Lost was coming out, I do remember that Alias had lost some luster. It had this very famous, awesome, earth-shattering Super Bowl episode that really broke the show in a cool way, but it had a hard time rebounding from that. And I guess that ABC was worried that Lost would follow a similar trajectory, which I guess it kind of did, uh, even though it became more of a classic. But Abrams and Little Up, they wrote a series Bible in which they outright lied about the show uh, and what it would be. This is a passage from the series Bible. The big question, is Lost self-contained or serialized? Self-contained. Seriously, we (laughs) promise. Yes, the mysteries surrounding the island may serve an ongoing and easy-to-follow mythology, but every episode has a beginning, middle, and end More importantly, the beginning of the next episode presents an entirely new dilemma to be resolved that requires no knowledge of the episode that preceded it. (laughs) Viewers... (laughs) I can't even finish without laughing. Viewers will be able to drop in at 
any time and be able to follow exactly what's going on <laughs> in a story context. This is not lip service. We are absolutely committed to this conceit. Lost can and will be just as accessible on a weekly basis as a traditionally procedural drama. Wow, the lies. That, They're baked well, that into was the premise from the beginning. <laughs> oh my goodness. They totally pulled the Sawyer. You know, they, they totally came in and grifted ABC and then promptly left it destitute after spending all the money on its pilot. So it was, you know, scarred for life and tried to acquire revenge from, from Damon and Carlton for years to come. You know what though, but that's what I mean when I'm when I'm talking about like taking the Thanos on Nebula approach to Lost, where you have to like you have to start thinking about what was involved. Involved in creating this show there was like this political struggle there was this one one is light one is dark side <laughs> battle brimming beneath the surface of the creation of lost where the creator uh damon lindelof and with with assistance from jj abrams and with the assistance of a really amazing think tank that was involved in in coming up with so much of why season one was such a success and and laid the groundwork for everything that came people that had really strong ideas and were, were working really really hard at crafting something extreme special, but knowing that it was going to be nearly impossible to, to sell to ABC, especially without their number one cheerleader in their corner anymore. So they had to lie. They had to lie. And there are other lies that are told along the way. There are company lines that needed to be towed in order to create the thing. Um, there's a really... This is a resource I am sure we are going to be coming back to on on many, many occasions. It's linked in our show notes. If you have not read uh, The Lost Will and Testament of Javier Grio Marxois, who is uh, one of the original writers uh, of Lost. It is this sprawling essay of the creation of Lost from his perspective, from the perspective of somebody who is part of the writer think tank. Um, it's required reading if you are a super nerdy Lost fan. Mike, you have to read it because it really it gives you so much information on how the show was built and the whole and why the whole notion of did they know what they were doing the entire time? Why it's a ridiculous notion from the jump. Anyway. The writers, after they turned in this series Bible, they spent nine weeks coming up with 33 self-contained stories that they could use, some of which they did use, a lot of which they did not, just to convince the network that it was all true, that it was real, that this was worth investing in. And it was convincing enough that they got picked up for a first season. And as soon as they got picked up, that's when they start introducing uh, more of the serialized moments into the show, uh, beginning with Walkabout, uh, which I cannot wait to get to. In, oh, are you two, saying that two weeks that starting in Walkabout, the show got its legs? Hey, Mike Bloom. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Perfect. Amazing. Get used to that more Borscht Belt vaudevillian humor coming up for the next five years on Down Mike, the Hatch. Mike, I don't know how you're able to podcast with that orange peel in your mouth, but it's impressive. Listen, Very impressive. Listen, I play a little backgammon, I eat a little orange. I'm having a good time here. All right. Other number four, Damon and JJ, they'd written a lot of island mythology before the show had even began. And this is from Javier Grio Marxois' notes. He retained notes from the first meeting of the writer's room where they were given the following guidance that JJ and Damon had already developed about what the show was to be. This is before any writers were brought into Lost, before they had you know written beyond the pilot. So this is interesting. Uh, these are bullet points that predate episode two of Lost. The island is a nexus of conflict between good and evil with a mysterious force at its core. Story checks out, Mike. That is, <laughs> that's the island. That's as, that's as much as you really ever get uh, at, its, at its base level. And that is right there from the jump. 
Okay, so that's number mm-hmm. one. Uh, an organization called the Medusa Corporation had been using the island as a place to undertake scientific experiments. They had eight separate scientific stations and had brought the polar bears with them. They were also working on something called the Valenzetti Equation, which was the early genesis of the numbers. Some of those details are a little different. The Valenzetti Equation really wasn't anything beyond the alternate reality game that uh, permeated and circled seasons two and three. Uh, the Medusa Corporation obviously is going to be renamed the Dharma Initiative. Slash. The, the Enso Foundation. Right, but that idea is baked into Lost from the very beginning. So yeah. take that, haters. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Uh, even though Medusa died, maybe by looking at itself in the mirror, I guess her gorgons live on in the form of these little snakes. <laughs> yeah, and we are part of the... We are the gorgons that are doing the podcasting. Uh, there's a couple of other things that predate uh, you know, the, the second episode of Lost that I think are pretty fascinating uh, that you can get from that Javier Griot-Marxois essay. Um, many of the other mythological beats, the major ones, such as the existence of the others and the tailies, they were fleshed out in the writer's room before the show even began filming. Uh, and Javi has said that he felt that the end result was enough of the overall arc of the show to demonstrate that the show is not being made up as the writers went along. Um, which leads us into other number five, Mike, that Damon and Carlton Cuse, they were always open to better ideas. Uh, Damon, Damon Lindelof, he was always open to better ideas, changing the course of what the answer to something could be. Uh, frequently initial references to things that were written with a working theory in mind that would later be replaced with a better idea. They often talked about beating the previous idea. Uh, the, mm-hmm. idea the, the best idea in the room was the answer until it could be beat. There was like sort of like this gladiatorial uh, quality to the answering of questions in Lost. And things would not make it onto the show unless people felt really concretely confident that they could explain it in some capacity, that they felt really good about the answer. That was Lindelof's one hard and fast rule, that he wouldn't allow anything to be put on screen that he didn't believe he had a good enough answer for beforehand. Wow. And it's so interesting because... You know, I, I would say that the lost writers room, I'm sure there are parallels between the community of people coming together under questionable leadership on a desert island and the people coming together under leadership in a writer's room as well. Like you said, there's a natural sense of competition there that Lindelof sort of fostered. But the fact that these people sort of need to come together to craft narratives and just like lost people will leave and people will come in that I'm sure, you know, using some of these other behind the scenes notes that the bed behind the curtain has uh, crafted so delightfully for us, we'll be able to sort of track how those two trains run parallel to one another as the years progress. Or the submarines, even. Exactly. Um, just yeah, make sure it, just make sure nothing's uh, explosive down there. Yeah, get the right cord, uh, the, the right coordinates that you need to travel by and get a nice big glass of orange juice in your system. Make sure somebody else is driving. Uh, Javier Griot-Marxois had said that this was evidence, uh, this idea of like beat the answer uh, was evidence that the writers did make it up as they went along, but with particular goals or endpoints in mind. Again, you got to read that essay. It's the required, required reading. That's your homework, people. It's your homework, people. You too, Mike. You got to read it. Um, okay. Other number six, the production turmoil impacted casting. Uh, By the time production was finally able to begin on Lost and casting was starting, most of the well-known TV actors and actresses at the time who were available for pilot season, they'd already been cast. And this directly led to what was a relatively green and unknown cast um, that that we see throughout the series regulars of Lost for the most part. Uh, There's a few exceptions. Terry O'Quinn, who plays John Locke, of course, he was available. J.J. Abrams had asked him to do the job at the time. 
Terry O'Quinn was playing uh, Special Agent Kendall on Alias mm. uh, for the first couple of seasons. I think he popped in towards the end as well, one or two more times, uh, but had like a special guest star recurring role on Alias. And so they wrote Locke basically with Terry O'Quinn in mind. He's the he's the one example where where that's the case. Um, or I guess he's he's the main example where where that's the case as far as like a, a relatively known actor is concerned. But the other known actors are Harold Perrineau, uh, who plays Michael, uh, not Bloom, uh, who uh, is great on Oz, Romeo and Juliet. Harold Perrineau is the man established before coming to Lost. Uh, Matthew Fox, Party yeah, of Five. Mr. Party of, of Five. He got a Matthew, not Emily Fox of Party of Five. Uh, and Dominic Monaghan, fresh off of Lord of the Rings, I think was probably the most famous person uh, on Lost. But other than that, it, it really is, you know, when we think about the characters on Lost, especially that first season, you mostly think of them primarily through those roles. Like they're, they're you know, these are people who had careers beforehand, of course. Yeonjin Kim, I think, was was pretty famous in, in Korea already. Uh, but I, I think that like, there is something to be said about one of the reasons why these characters pop so much is because they had to start moving like fairly late in pilot season. So people had already been cast. So they had to like start reaching for, for new faces. I think yeah. that benefited them greatly. I mean, I'll personally admit that one of the big attractors for me to lost was, uh, Hey, there's a Hobbit that's going to be yeah, on this course. show. And I'm between that and this survivor light concept that turned out to be not very survivor at all. I'm sure we can talk about the original marketing of lost, which was, Oh yeah. And every little bit, somebody's going to be killed off the Island. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. Let me try this network drama thing. So, I mean, it's almost comparable to me to like Star Trek The Next Generation, as weird as that is, where like, I think you can say nowadays, like, oh, Patrick Stewart, he's, you know, maybe not a household name, but he's certainly a very big name, but he really wasn't when he was first cast. And Lost has definitely been one of those shows where I love it so much that after Lost ended, I'm sure you did this as well, Josh, any project that was involving a cast member who was on Lost, you had to check out. Yeah, to give it a shot. You watch, so you watched Alcatraz, you watched Flash Forward, you watched V, you watched all this kind of crappy TV just because you're like, well, they're <laughs> yeah. they're on it, and I, I want to support them. I want to support these my friends, these people that I've communicated with across the screen for so many years. So yeah, we're gonna get into this cast, but uh, it's pretty remarkable to see how even though they made a good name for themselves, especially nowadays, you look at someone like Daniel Day Kim who is killing it on Hawaii Five O reboot. Uh, it was not always the case when Lost first came around. Yeah, and it's no longer on Hawaii Five-0, but Jorge Garcia is. So yeah, exactly. You you're, you're, you got to switch out your losties. <laughs> yeah, I I think that they overlap, but I got to admit, I'm not a Hawaii Five-0 guy, so I couldn't really tell you. Um, uh, other number seven from Ben Martell uh, notes that there were some big names that fell through. Um this is, I think, a fairly commonly told urban legend uh, rimming beneath the surface on, on, Lo- on Lost that I think is, is mostly confirmed at this point that Lost had hired or had like loosely hired Michael Keaton <laughs> to play the role of Jack. Batman was going to be Jack uh, with the intention that he would do the full press tour. He would do like the full promotional campaign and everything uh, and like be billed as the main character only for Lost to eventually like Sean beat him. And he was, mm. he was just gonna, he was going to be killed by the monster at the cockpit at the end of pilot part one. He wasn't even going to make it to pilot part two. Um, and ultimately that idea was abandoned. Uh, the network felt it was like it was pulling a con on the audience uh, and they, they felt like they wouldn't, they wouldn't trust the show. And so they would be too upset and they demanded that Jack survives and become a main character. Uh, and so Michael Keaton exited 
from that, which I think ultimately in the end is the right choice. But I think that that instinct to trick the audience and to con the audience, that obviously permeates a lot of Lost, even just going back to one of the sounds that we've played, that we have to go back of it all, the first flash forward. Uh, I think that that desire to, to surprise us in ways that we couldn't even conceive of being surprised, I think that that remained intact. I can't believe we traded a bat for a fox. <laughs> I know. Me neither. Um, other number eight, some roles were created for specific actors and actresses, not just Terry O'Quinn as Locke, but Jorge Garcia, the aforementioned, he was asked to audition for Sawyer after J.J. Abrams saw him playing a drug dealer on Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, which is a real bit part that I don't even remember that well. I don't know if you have. A yeah, I think I remember it, it very you know, I'll, I'll admit I'm not a huge Curb guy, but I remember it like in the recesses of my memory. I'm sure I went back to watch it again, almost retroactively to what I was saying before of, oh, he was on this. Let me check it out. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was like a, I don't know, maybe a day part role got, you know, screwed up in one of Larry's big, crazy schemes. Uh, but for some reason, that ended up catching the production company's attention so much that they brought him in. And not only did they bring him in, but they said, hey, we like you so much that you know, you're not a Sawyer. We're going to write this whole character for you and of course that led to hugo reyes being born which i can't imagine this show without him quite honestly no it's impossible you know he's he's arguably the best character i mean you could make an argument for so many of these characters for being the best character and hurley is definitely one of them that you can make that argument for yeah he auditioned for sawyer and it's like that's not gonna work but we need you to be on lost we're gonna make a character for you so they created hurley for him so hurley was created a little bit later in the in the initial creative process um there's some other similar examples uh saeed wasn't in the original plans navy and andrews auditioned no one knows for which part um and they created saeed for him uh it's impossible to think about lost without saeed uh there was always the character of sawyer a lot of different people auditioned for sawyer including jorge garcia i believe dominic monahan uh auditioned for sawyer as well originally the writers wanted him to be like this slick businessman forrest whitaker allegedly was somebody that they were looking at for sawyer which is such a different (laughs) insane (laughs) to me i cannot imagine forrest whitaker walking around being like hello freckles yeah it just doesn't work at all i mean it could be cool and i wish that they'd figured out a way to get forrest whitaker involved and lost in some capacity uh but that version of sawyer would be a very very different guy um but eventually josh holloway auditioned and they were like nope we need like smooth talking super hot southern model type uh to play sawyer and the rest is history there. So a few examples of that where where actors were, were so inspiring that they had to create characters based on them. Um, other number nine, season one. Say what you will about the rest of the show, but season one was awesome and everybody knew it. Uh, it won many awards. It was nominated for many awards. Most notably, it won Emmy Awards for Outstanding Drama Series for its first season as well as for casting. I think both... Very, very deeply deserved. Um, it was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Television Series Drama. It won two Saturn Awards. Uh, it won for Best Series and Best Supporting Actor for Terry O'Quinn. Uh, and Matthew Fox, Evangeline Lilly, and Dominic Monaghan were also nominated for Saturn Awards. And it, it's worth uh, putting out there about Evangeline Lilly that I believe that this was her first acting job. It was, uh, w- yeah. was Kate. Yeah, she was a, a Canadian, you know, little-known Canadian model uh, who got uh, who got you know the 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 you know she got the nod to to 
be in the big leagues, be in this big TV show. J.J. Uh, Abrams has a has a real knack for for casting these leading ladies on on some of his shows. Carrie Russell finding her, discovering her. Jennifer Garner discovering her for Alias and Evangeline Lilly. Like when you look at the full cast of Lost and you think about what they're doing now. She, you know, forget Dominic Monaghan. Evangeline Lilly was in Middle Earth, and she's a Marvel superhero. So who's laughing now? She's she's killing it. Absolutely, she is. Despite you know playing the smallest size superhero, she might be the biggest in terms of screen presence nowadays. Uh, other number ten, which is billed as our first official feedback question uh, that Ben Martell is asking us. He asks, "Have you ever read any books just because of Lost? If so." Which ones? And I'm gonna be the uh, the 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 doofus who says I haven't. Uh, you know, we, a- I was gonna say, are we going to? We're in Otherville. We're at book club right now. Have you read the books, Josh? No, not not specifically because of Lost. I think I think what Lost did is like it it pushed me towards like getting involved in like internet communities uh, and like getting involved in like fan communities online and seeking out podcasts for the very first time. Uh, but it didn't send me down the hatch and down the rabbit hole of like re-examining Alice in Wonderland. I think actually maybe I did like look back at Alice in Wonderland just a little bit, but I was already on my radar. Uh, I've been saving a certain Charles Dickens novel for uh, when I know that I'm about to die. So it can be the last thing that I ever read. Um, but I've never read Watership Down or, uh, you know, many of the other literary references that we'll find throughout Lost. So both Ben Martell and audience members were looking at you to, to make us seem smarter when we encounter some of those literary. Oh, books. boy. Uh, you might be barking up the wrong tree there, Vincent. Uh, I mean, so I, I do have an answer. Uh, I mean, it also happened to be that, you know, Lost came about. Uh, I basically watched Lost between the ages of like 14 to 20 on my first watch. So it actually corresponded really nicely to some of the books that I was reading in high school. Uh, things like Catch-22, things like Lord of the Flies, which had really big illusions and big inspirations back to Lost. The one that I would say I was really inspired to read after watching Lost was definitely Slaughterhouse-Five by oh, cool. Kurt Vonnegut, which really yeah. connects back to the uh, the aforementioned clip of Whatever Happened Happened. This idea of becoming unstuck in time, which essentially is the entire plot for half the cast of season five, right? Is them well, trying espe- to... Yeah, and especially um, Flashes Before Your Eyes, that Desmond episode in season three where he's like really all over the place. Yeah, or, and, or, the, or the, and the concert as well. Yeah, exactly. Which is even like, I think, built to a fever pitch. So it was those type of things that really got me interested in it. So I'd say that was the one big one that really made me dive into the works of Kurt Vonnegut, who I really didn't know too much about beforehand. And then once I checked out his very trippy work, I have never been the same. Kurt Vonnegut was incredible. His books are remarkable and some of my favorites. There's definitely books that like have been brought up on Lost that I uh Oh and I oh and I will with. I will say I did read a section of uh do you remember when Bad Twins sort of yes. came out with like the in fiction uh you know transcript? I couldn't do it. I couldn't pull the trigger on Bad Twin. I couldn't I couldn't get there. Um maybe maybe we'll read Bad Twin at some point though. I mean there may be an occasion for a lost book club. Uh we can we can sketch that out closer to the end as long as it doesn't get interrupted by any pesky planes crashing i'm fine with it i would be fine with that as well other number 11 uh michael giacchino's composing philosophy composer michael giacchino who provides truly one of the greatest aspects of lost if the island is a character if hawaii itself is playing the part of the island then michael giacchino's score is as much a character and giacchino who went on to be you know such a such a talent really cutting his teeth on lost in a big way but you know he composed 
very memorably, the score from Up, uh, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, all sorts of stuff, Planet of the Apes. Uh, he's just, you know, he's king of the mountain as far as I'm concerned. One of the one of the very top people working today. He wanted to compose Lost's score in the moment without knowing what might be coming his way. Uh, so instead of having any scripts or watching episodes in advance, he would start watching the show itself. And when he felt a scene needed music, he would stop watching and he would compose music for that scene before watching any more of the episode. Uh, he utilizes a philosophy that's most famously practiced by John Williams, great man to live up to, mm-hmm. uh, in his movie scoring, which is the use of recurring themes and motifs to represent specific characters or events. For example, the life and death theme that recurs when somebody dies, which we listened to you know, several minutes ago when we were talking about Charlie. Uh, it gives the score of, of the show kind of a familiarity and a predictability. And in, in itself, it's kind of becoming a character that people can engage with. This I, is mostly... A lot of this is drawn from... Uh, an interview that Michael Giacchino did with Alan Seppenwall, uh, the great Alan Seppenwall that is uh, linked in our show notes as well, if you want to read more about that. I was initially confused because I thought you would, I thought it meant that sort of like Peter and the Wolf, each character had an instrument assigned to them, which may be the case. And I'll admit that I think uh, as someone who is not as, you know, musically uh, focused as I maybe am now, I'll admit that Michael Giacchino's score was just some nice set dressing on a room that you would otherwise, you know, focus on the furniture instead of the stuff that's hanging on the walls. But now that, you know, we have the ability to really focus in on each and every episode every week, I will definitely be, you know, paying more attention to those musical motifs. And I'm very excited to see, uh, you know, if Sawyer represents the bassoon or the flugelhorn. <laughs> I don't think that, that you're not going to find much there. Uh, you may find like horns are really associated with dread. You know, like, I well, there's that, always the boom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely instruments that are like associated with feelings, um, but not so much with characters to my recollection. But we'll, we're going to be talking about the music and we're going to be talking about a lot of the theory behind it. Um, ben Martell has linked up with uh, I, I don't have the name of the person in front of me. I, I apologize for that. But Ben has linked up with somebody who's who's really incredible and, and has been studying lost music. So we'll be bringing in some facts from that. Uh, along the way. Just to talk a little bit more about the sounds of Lost, this is other number 12, talking about the Lost Orchestra. The soundtrack was composed by Michael Giacchino, and it features a 37-piece orchestra that primarily features strings and percussion with a little bit of brass and some piano as well. Some of the percussion was actually played on parts of the plane fuselage, um, like this gigantic plane that got bought and cut up for the purpose of the pilot, and then they needed to do stuff with. That became incorporated into the into the, the musicality of, of Lost. Isn't that ridiculous? Wow, very Blue Man group of the very Lost Orchestra. Very of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got to see uh, Giacchino um, do the... the this lost concert experience um, a, a couple of years back in Los Angeles, and uh, there were there was like pieces of the set dressing that were that were on stage and and like you know parts of the plane that they were playing on. It was it was really really incredible to to behold. Uh, Giacchino wanted to establish a particular sound of the show. Uh, he explored some specific orchestral choices that he intended to form the sound of the show on the official Lost podcast. There's a link to this episode of the Lost podcast in our show notes, uh, the Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse podcast that often drew from other people in the production. Uh, so check out the show notes to, to listen to more of how Giacchino 
put things together. Uh, but it's it's really amazing stuff. And and just like this this is episode of the podcast, especially that you can listen to. There's people from Giacchino's uh, orchestra that are just like really taking the piss out of him, and it's very very funny. Uh, but it's also an exploration of the specific instruments and techniques that are used by the players in the orchestra. So if you're a music nerd and if you're a nerd for the lost music, especially. I, I highly recommend you can do some uh, some extracurricular deep diving into this particular episode of the official Lost Podcast. Once again, consult your show notes for that. Um, all right. Takes us to the final three others of the others segment. They're all week. the way through the rest of them in a hole. And they yes. somehow escaped. Yes. All right. Other number 13. Uh, ben wants us to discuss where does season one rank for you amongst the season's of loss. This Ooh. is a heavy question, yeah. Mike Bloom. As heavy uh, as a piece is... of fuselage that percussionists are playing on in Michael Giacchino's orchestra. Uh, I mean, listen, I don't want to build my hopes too sky high, only to have them promptly come crashing down due to a man in a hatch. But I think we talked about this back during Lost Lives 2.0. This is my favorite season. Yeah, and it might just be because of the nostalgia goggles, or like the Sawyer glasses, where like one frame is welded onto another frame from another pair of glasses uh, that we have on here. But I mean, there's nothing for me that beats you know walking through this journey with the characters for the first season. Like I spoke about before, the first season is so basic compared to all the complicated mythos that we're, that we're about to get into. I mean. We're going to get into the beach people versus the cave people, Josh. <laughs> yeah. How granular is that compared yeah, to a there's larger like spectrum? There's no of others the, yet. Even yeah, compared point. to like the, oh, yes, the world is going to explode if you don't, you know, complete this thing. And you might unleash the uh, representation of evil upon the world if you don't throw him down a well, you know, that we face in season six. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But it was a great way to introduce the characters. The flashbacks were so nouveau. I think they did a really great job of building out the characters to the point where you could argue maybe in seasons two and three they sort of realized they had run out of runway to build out some of these characters and absolutely nothing will be what is in my opinion and in your opinion as well i'm hopefully still after this rewatch our favorite episode of lost the season one finale three-part exodus which is just one of my favorite television episodes ever so it's it's got to be number one for me and i'm hoping that even though there might be some cracks that are showing based on how much it's aged, it's still going to remain at that spot as we finish season one. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely like ranked the seasons before and off the top of my head, I don't remember what like my last quote unquote official ranking of the seasons was, but my feeling is it goes something like one, three, five, two, four, six for me. Um, after this last rewatch, I may bump six up beyond four. Whoa! I'm a, ooh, I'm controversial, a, and I just don't know if that's yeah, true. Yeah, as, as, as a big I, season four stan, I take offense at that. Well, I've, there, there's things, and, and I don't know if that's true. I think that that's crazy. I think season four has got the constant in it, and it's hard to hard to knock. Uh, but I, I think it's very, as, as a, a wise man once said, Mike Bloom, ranking things is arbitrary and reductive. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I feel like such is the case when it comes to talking about six seasons of my favorite television show uh, and six seasons that I love, all of them. And I can't wait until seven years from now when we get to season six and I, I get to revisit that again and see if I was just in like a grief-addled fever dream that allowed me to, to love season six or if some of my takeaways from season six at the time 
still hold up. Yeah. But I think what, for what, me, what I, happened I'm was, with you that season one is number one. I mean, Locke tied you down to a tree, put some paste on your face, and you saw season <laughs> six get eaten by yeah. some sort of monster and it made you freak out. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, season one, number one. Season one, number one for me, for sure. Uh, other number four, we are asked to discuss what we see as the major themes of season one. Ooh. A few of these themes that are suggested by Ben Martell, uh, Tabula Rasa slash Redemption, Fate versus Destiny, dealing with trauma and daddy issues. Uh, what are some of the major themes that you are looking to explore? Mike, survival is is high up there, just like the very basic, yeah. we gotta live, <laughs> we can't die out here. If we, if we keep fighting each other, we're gonna die alone. Well, yeah. yeah, well, I was gonna say, so that's a big one, is obviously we have uh, really the on-the-nose, live-together-die-alone speech from Jack that really emphasizes this community coming together. And, you know, as I mentioned before with the beach people versus the cave people, there are some schisms that develop just like you would with any group because to coin a term from our show Survivor, they're building a society out there. And there are sure to be differences in leadership and belief when it comes to that. Uh, Sort of combining the first two themes that Ben brought up, I feel like Lost Season 1 in particular has this, you know, undercurrent beat of what is your purpose? Because I feel like both on and off the island characters are gripping with that. John Locke feels like he's been given a new lease on life being on the island. And the entire first season is about him saying, we must do this for the island. The island is telling me to do this. You know, the island is directing me to do this. You have someone like Jack who is trying to figure out, you know, am I meant to be a leader? What do I, you know, my, since my father has been lording over my entire life, who am I as a person without being under my father's shadow? Sawyer is someone whose purpose has essentially been hellbent on revenge for the past several years of his life, that it's almost now been blurred as to, you know, who James Ford is and who Sawyer is. The other big theme I would mention, uh, especially in this first season, as we're finding out more about these characters, are secrets. You know, it, it, on what these characters sort of disclose with each other as to why they were on that plane, you know, between Sydney and Los Angeles, what they might have brought both in terms of physical baggage and emotional baggage from the outside world into the island world and how might that affect people's perceptions of them. You know, you have Kate, obviously, uh, you know, there's a reason why the marshal dies pretty early is that her secret doesn't necessarily get too widespread, at least early on. Uh, Sawyer is again, another character, even someone like Saeed, who, you know, had a career torturing people in the Republican guard uh, may not necessarily be something that wants to get out, especially given the, uh, unfortunate stereotypes that were affecting Middle Eastern people at the time. And then, of course, you have Mr. Other Man himself, Ethan Rom, who was one of the biggest mysteries of season one. As it turns out that he was, you know, a mole amongst them for the others who ends up becoming the most sinister person in the first season. So th- those are some of the bigger themes that I can think of. What about you? Yeah, no, I think I, I echo all of that. I missed her echo. All oh, of no. That. <laughs> and and I, I, I would add, I think... Um, uh, running away from your problems, uh, you know, running toward your destiny. I think just like momentum in in any direction is something that people are searching. Damn it, for. Kate, run! Everybody's searching for meaning. Uh, everybody is trying to 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 matter. I think is a big one. Um, you know, whether it's it's Charlie who's trying to to kick his his heroin habit, but but come across as useful, or Boone, who's another great example of like he just wants to matter. He just wants to provide some use. I think that there's everybody who's looking for a purpose and some intention in their lives and to direct that in, in whatever direction that makes the most sense. I think you see a lot of that. 
throughout the first season of Lost. I think one of the one of the benefits of what we're going to be doing here is we we have base layers of familiarity with Lost to varying degrees. It's fairly fresh in my mind, having done like that really compressed rewatch rel- relatively recently. It's been a couple of years since you've gone back to the material, Mike, but we both know it you know, to, to, to certain degrees, at least pretty well. Um, but I think as we're going to be going through the week to week and kind of re-experiencing Lost on um, a regular schedule, like a reliable schedule, but not like a everyday type of schedule or multiple times a day type of schedule, I think a lot of these themes are going to start manifesting. And there's going to be certain things that we're going to oh, be no, Don't check the manifest. Who's on the manifest? You know, and I, I think that there's going to be things that are going to be materializing along the way, not unlike a, a, an apparition of Christian Shepherd in the jungle, which takes us very nicely into our final other, other number 15. Uh, ben asks us to discuss the mythological aspects of season one that excite us the most. Uh, and like, take your freaking pick, man. Is it the hatch? Is it the fact that the others show up? Is it the monster who's there from the jump? Is it the ghosts, you know, like the whispers, which end up being ghosts? And I know that that's controversial. I've made my peace with that. Uh, is there? Is it the polar bear? Uh, what is it for you? What are some of the, the aspects of the mythology from the jump that really got you? Um, I'm very excited to see our others you know, appear because it is really interesting to see the contrast between season one and season three, where we really get to see inside the others and find out that, you know, they are sort of normal people. Granted, they might have some malicious intentions from the from our, you know, our our uh, fuselage people's perspective, but they also seem like people that were sort of recruited for this organization, especially someone like a Mr. Tom Friendly who has such an interesting personality come out in season three from when he was wearing the fake beard on the boat of, yeah, we're going to have to take the boy. It really is like night and day. So I'm excited to see those characters come out. And speaking of another character, I'm very intrigued to see the arc of Danielle Rousseau. Yeah. This, because Danielle Rousseau is one of the biggest pieces of mythos in the first season and that she's really the first person who is not part of our crew on the island that we see in this show and that, you know, she kidnaps Saeed. You know, she's the person who sort of has been putting out this radio broadcast in French that they've been listening to at the end of the pilot that Shannon translates. And, you know, she delves a bit into maybe some of the uh, the more mysterious elements of the island in terms of how, what her story is and the fact that her, you know, crew went crazy. Of course, that's going to get filled in in the fifth season when they travel back to that time and sort of fill in the blanks there. But I'm very excited to see those other characters who we see in very different perspectives later on in the canon of how they're introduced and how much their character is going to grow and shift over time or quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm very excited to track the monsters arc. I believe the monster is one of those, um, one of those items on the list of the series Bible from that predates episode two that has like the eventual answer that he was, he's a man the whole time. And he's this guy who's trying to, just kidding. That's not on there. They didn't (laughs) know what the monster was right away. They really did think he was a security system. And I think that as the, the ethos in the writer's room apparently dictated best idea wins. And the best idea must've ultimately been the monster is a character. The monster is somebody who wants to get off the Island. And I think that the reason why sometimes like answers could switch and like, if they felt like they had like what they would call the best answers because they would, they, they went back and they thought through like, could, can, can we retcon this basically? Like, can we, can we make this work with information 
that has already been presented. And some things like you're like really like fitting the the square peg into the round hole, like you're roughing out some of the edges to make some of this work. But I think that the monster works really well for me in retrospect. And I'm excited to to see that entity on the show, knowing what the long-term landing point is for mm. what the monster is. I think that that's going to be really fun to talk through. The Whispers is I have cited in the past publicly on podcasts as one of the things that I thought was like the biggest load of BS in terms of the presentation of an answer and an argument for why many things didn't need to be answered and sometimes questions were better than answers. I still feel that way ultimately about The Whispers, but I said I've come to some measure of peace with The Whispers and I've come to some measure of like being able to like accept the answer that they gave and 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 find a way to like actually make that work with what we see with The Whispers all along the way that The Whispers are like the remnants of of dead people on the island who can't move on. I think even though they're so closely associated with the others, there's ways to make that work. I guess let's talk about that when we get to like yeah. appropriate places for that, but maybe just a little bit of a tease of a take and even though it's not in season 1 can't wait to talk about time travel. We're going to talk about time travel a lot. Time travel is my blanket answer for any question that either has no answer or an unsatisfying answer. Time travel is the reason why the four-toed statue exists. We'll get into that later. Yeah. That's my official hot take. Exactly. This is sort of like the uh, a wizard did it of Lost. It's, oh, yeah, time totally. travel. Somebody went back 100%. in time and made it the way that it is now. Yeah. Uh, the, the Hurley is in charge of the island, and now like he's got like all of these different scientists and all these different fun people that he's brought in to like help you know establish this new world order now that he's the leader of the island. He's like, hey, why don't we t- travel back in time? And everyone's like, no, 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 let's not do that. That's been really dicey for us in the past. He's like, well, I'm the leader. I think it'll be fun. Let's do it. And they travel back in time, and they go to the place on the island. They're like, wait, why is the statue not here? Isn't there supposed to be some sort of Egyptian statue thing here? And they're like, yeah, I guess we jumped back in time before it happened. And he's like, no, dude, we built it. We we built the four-toed statue. It's supposed to be here, but it's not here yet. And the reason it shows up is because we build it. We build the four-toed statue. Get to work. Anytime travels back into the present, the four-toed statue thing already happened because Hurley made it happen. Oh, Time travel is the answer for everything. Now I just feel for poor Ben Linus, who's essentially like the Smithers to Hurley's overexcited Mr. Burns coming up oh, with all, all these a- ideas. And Ben's like... Oh, God damn it. All right. I guess I'll build a statue now. He's a very joyous uh, Mr. Burns, though. Um, yes, very much all right. so. There's, there's a lot of mythological stuff that we'll talk about. I'm sure we'll have lots of time travel hijinks to get into as we get along the way here on Lost. But that's going to do it for our 1516 Others segment. That's where we want your feedback. Uh, it will. Ben is going to be providing us with a lot of great stuff along the way, but we want to be hearing from you. So please tweet at us at Poster Recaps. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type or email your feedback into us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We're going to be collecting your feedback to read in the 15 and, and section. This is also, again, it's a spoiler podcast. So if you have your own connections of, oh yeah, I noticed in this episode, you know, season one, episode 23 connects to season three, episode six. Don't yes. be afraid. Write that in. We absolutely love that because we're looking at the, at the entire series as a whole. So make all the connections you want to. 100%. Totally agreed. All right. 23 points. Our final section of any given episode. Of course, we will talk about the 42 of it all in a few moments. But 23 points. Uh, this was the one that was uh, required the most workshopping between between Bloom and myself along the way. I think we're pretty happy with where we landed. Uh, each week, Mike and I are going to be assigning out what we're calling 23 points to the episodes MVP and LVP. We each have two points to award to our MVP of choice 
choice and three points to take away from our LVP of choice. Uh, one week, I'm going to have the power to give three points for MVP and two points to LVP. And Mike is going to have two points to give to the MVP and three points to give to the LVP. And we'll each switch back and forth each and every week. There's really no point to this other than it's, it's just going to be the best spot that we've got to be talking about the characters of Lost uh, in deeper detail on a weekly basis. So that's what we're doing when we're talking about 23 points. Yeah, and it's just going to be an ability to sort of look. This is a cavalcade of characters, and our MVPs and our LVPs might be long-standing characters. It might be, hey, I noticed this other was doing some weird hacky sack thing in the background. I'm going to give him my. I would say MVP. I think anyone who's going to make recreation (laughs) out of all the crazy stuff they're doing is a man after my own heart. So Mac as another LVP. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, him yelling at Justin, I think his name was, this, this, the, whoever, whatever that, uh, yeah. Dharma guy he was yelling at in that one scene he was in before he got killed. Uh, we'll definitely get into that. So, yeah, it'll be it'll really, you know, arrange the gamut. And who knows, maybe if you intrepid listeners out there want to keep running charts, you know, uh, when we came up with this, we were very much inspired by the lovely Shannon Gates, who does our international survivor coverage on reality TV for Hap Ups, who does, you know, uh, weekly strategic power uh, distributions and sort of does a running list based on that. Let's see what happens. But yeah, we'll be giving uh, every given week, one person will be giving three points, one person will be giving two, and then one person will be taking away three points, and one person will be taking away two. So uh, we might have some characters starting pretty early in the hole here, Josh. Yeah, uh, we were going to do a little bit of a draft here at the start, just talking like series-wide. Uh, I don't think that we need to do that here. We've, we're already going a little long in the tooth, so 23 points is going to officially kick off once we get into talking about the pilot. So we're going to be focusing mostly on, uh, we're going to be focusing only on, on people from season one and people who are uh, who exist in that pilot episode uh is that good with you mike yeah i was about to say i had my anna lucia lvp pitch ready but i can (laughs) put that in my back pocket until season two yeah i think so all right 42 uh where does the number 42 come in if it's not responsible for a segment well 42 minutes that is the the guaranteed minimum amount of time you will be getting from an episode of down the hatch conversely Every episode of Down the Hatch, we will guarantee it. We will clock in at a maximum 108 minutes, which is the sum total of all of the numbers. We will never present to you an episode that exceeds 108 minutes, except if you look at your time codes right now, you'll notice that we're getting very close to exceeding that 108-minute maximum, and we do not want to do that that is the last thing we want to do because if mike bloom and i podcast about lost on any given week for longer than 108 minutes then my friends i am afraid to tell you that we have a crisis on our hands God, you pushed the button, Mike. Oh, boy. Well, that was not a great way to start. A little spook right out of the gate there. Oh, my goodness. All right. So 108 minutes. If we exceed 108 minutes on any given episode of Down the Hatch, Mike, we have triggered a crisis 
An electromagnetic crisis has occurred. <laughs> yes, everyone, get your electronic devices away from your podcast, you know, a device of choice. Actually, don't, because what this crisis involves is more stuff lost-wise to be coming into your podcast feed. Yeah, uh, so the crisis, it's, it's, it's more like a crisis for Mike and I. Because <laughs> Scheduling-wise. It, it means that we have to add more to the plate, which is uh, not exciting for us necessarily, unless we are doing stuff that's really, really fun fun but it's just it's more to do and nobody wants to do more things uh the crises will manifest in the form of mike and i producing bonus episodes of down the hatch uh so if and quite honestly when the occasion arises that we are exceeding the 108 minute time limit uh we're gonna borrow a page from the great robin akiva need a podcast playbook we will spin a frozen donkey wheel of podcast options uh, that what whichever one we settle on will be the crisis episode, the bonus crisis episode. That's going to include, but aren't limited to guest interviews. I'm sure Survivor Lost, the simulation. Oh, that is will a come long time coming. The Lindelof, aka the lost version of the Wandoff. Yes! Uh, which is a song parody competition, if you don't know what the Wandoff is. And if you don't know what the Wandoff is, I'm a little surprised and slightly offended. Uh, <laughs> other things like that. Uh, maybe the lost RPG. Who knows? Plenty of, plenty of options. We're open to suggestions. We are soliciting suggestions if you want to send us uh, things to put on the frozen donkey wheel. Uh, but we're, we're hopeful we're not going to be triggering too many crises. I think like four per season. That sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds fine by me. Yeah, and we more w- than that, and we'll have to reevaluate the rules. I and think. one caveat, though, uh, the 108 minute rule limit will not apply to our recaps of multi part episodes. Uh, yes, a- AKA, absolutely. you know, finales are usually a big to do. There might be the pilot, for example. I'm sure that is going to go over our allotted time. So we're going to give ourselves a little bit of, dare I say, wiggle room here with uh, stri- striking those from the rule that we've set up. Yeah, so the pilot, uh, I'm sure we are going to be going a similar length on the two-part pilot as we are going today. We are going to give ourselves a pass on that. Uh, we will give ourselves a pass on multi-part finales. If we have to like combine a couple of episodes at some point down the line, like if there's like a scheduling thing that we see in the distance that it makes more sense to talk about, just as an example, we're not going to do this, but to, to talk about like The Moth and Confidence Man in the same conversation as one podcast, if, if occasions like that arise... We'll lift the 108 minute maximum rule. Uh, but for the most part, if we're just talking about like a 42 minute episode of television, we're going to give you 42 minutes of podcast content, but we really ought to not give you 108 <laughs> minutes. This is like the live your life rule. Yeah. Uh, of like when I yell at Rob for mashing songs together on the wand off. This is like the, this is, this is the time limit that I feel like comfortable devoting 108 minutes at the absolute most to lost every week. If we exceed that, we really have a problem here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, devotion to anything uh, in an excessive amount is never too good. I do think, yeah, if we are going for over an hour and 45 minutes on one particular episode of Lost, even if it is House of the Rising Sun, for example, means that maybe we're talking a bit too much, Josh, which too I know much. is, a, is, is you much. know, very easy to come by for the two of us. But still, we got to We got to put in stops here. All right, so that, that's, that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about 42 minutes minimum, 108 minutes maximum. Uh, and because we did go over today, and in, in anticipation that some people are going to be like, oh, this is BS that like, you're not going to give us a bonus podcast because you're probably going to go long on the pilot as well. I'm just going to preempt the crisis. Uh, I'm going to offer up our first bonus down the hatch podcast. It's going to come your way next week before 
the pilot discussion. Mike is going to be sitting this one out, but I will be catching up with Joe Garfine, who has been featured on Post Show Recaps Talking Lost in the past, one of the OGs on our Lost Lives podcast from back in the day when we launched Post Show Recaps. Joe is my partner in crime on Welcome to Westworld, our Westworld podcast here on Post Show Recaps. She is such a known quantity in the Lost space. Beyond Mm -hmm. the podcast, she's the founder of Cancer Gets Lost, which is an organization that raises money for various cancer charities via online and live auctions of rare and autographed pop culture memorabilia. Their next auction is coming up on August 21st. So Joe and I are going to be on here talking about that. She's actually re-watching Lost right now. I think she's in season two. So I want to get her takeaways from a Lost rewatch and what it looks like down that particular rabbit hole as a little bit of like a preview of what you and I might be in for, Mike. Through that looking Um, glass. Yeah. Yeah. I think to get some notes from Joe on how the Lost rewatch is going, just what some of her overall takeaways are from this latest experience through Lost for her. I think that'll be really, really fun. We'll also use it as an opportunity to catch up on Westworld because she and I haven't talked about Westworld in a long time. The season three trailer for Westworld was bananas. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, So there will be some Westworld spoilers towards the end of that podcast uh, as an early warning for that. So that'll be your first Down the Hatch podcast. Some notes from a rewatch before we officially get into the rewatch. Pilot part one and two coming your way August 23rd, uh, we will be recording on August 21st. You have until that morning to get your feedback and your comments and your questions for the 1516 Others segment at Post Show Recaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. All of those are acceptable ways to get your feedback and questions in. We would also love it if you would subscribe, ratings, your reviews, all of that, please, as we are as we are aiming to attract as many losties as humanly possible into our orbit to be talking about all things lost here on Down the Hatch. Um, huge thanks to you, Mike Bloom, for, for signing on for this insane project. Oh I can't believe God. that you are willing to do this with oh, me. The pleasure is all mine. Look, I relish any opportunity to revisit a show that has become so seminal to my pop culture knowledge and the, my pop culture experience. Talk about it with such a great person who is so passionate and knowledgeable about the show and, and to do so in, a, in a, such an unorthodox way in the way that we've sort of encountered things. I do promise, true to our, our restricted time run, that you know we will definitely approach each section with a bit more brevity than we did today. This is a big explanation we were the pierre chang essentially standing in the film strip explaining all of this to you though i personally have uh two fleshy hands in front of me josh i don't know about you yes i i do as well uh, and i prefer the name marvin candle personally mm. um but yes in the in the weeks ahead we will we will really be doing our best to aim much closer to the 42 minutes if we can but uh Man plans, God laughs, and all of that. So, uh, well, well, Jacob laughs. We'll see. We'll see where we go with all of that. I want to thank a few other people before we close out. Stevie Zampanti, who is our editor. Alex Rubino, who handles the posts on Post Show Recaps. Brendan Fitzpatrick, who is handling the Post Show Recaps social media, and I'm sure we will be hearing a lot from him in the feedback sections. Ben Martell, the Ben behind the curtain, who we could not do this without, and of course Alex G, who is the the man behind our incredible intro and outro music uh which you will hear momentarily unless mike you've got anything else otherwise i'm good to see you in another podcast brother yeah we got a lot of talking to do about this pilot i cannot wait one of my favorite pilots ever i'm excited really excited to listen to joe's opinion as well but i cannot wait to finally start this thing up 
put it in the air, and then promptly crash it after a nice little uh, wink-wink free drink from the lovely Miss Cindy, the, the flight attendant. Absolutely. All right. We are going down the hatch to the pilot, parts one and two, next week. Until next time, see you in another life. Four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty-three, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty-three, forty-two, four.